they see that the device works properly, they'll release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Realize what will happen. Oh yes. You. Well, I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. So he's reversed the polarity. Keep back. Hello and welcome to Reversing Polarity, a incredibly gay Doctor Who podcast where we can talk to the moon and back about just how gay this show is. <laughs> my name is Aim, my pronouns are they, them. My name is Rosie, my pronouns are also they, them. I liked that one, that was Thank good. you, that was very on the cuff, very um, responsive. That's where my head is right now. How are you doing? How is podcast life? I'm good. I'm in the dining room today to record because uh, my internet is terrible. Um, <laughs> as we find out bad. on the next episode, because we, we're time travellers. <laughs> we're time travellers um, now. We take yeah. our jobs very seriously. Uh, luckily, I'm sat in my comfy new armchair. Ooh, fancy. But yes, um, what, are we, what are we talking about today? This what, episode... What are we doing here? <laughs> this episode, uh, we have gone on a voyage... Uh, à, la, à la lune de la terre etc de la terre à la lune um, and gone to the moon base um, which yes. is a story from the fourth series of Doctor Who it is serial six of season four and it features the second Doctor Ben Polly and Jamie our little boy he's definitely our my favourite he is wonderful it's so unusual to have two men on a TARDIS team it's so good <laughs> However, it's incredibly usual to have one woman in a story. Yeah, it is a one-woman story. There's a shocking number of men in this, but a lot of them do get just, like, unceremoniously offed, so... That's something, I guess? Yeah. You know, they never they never call them... <laughs> they, they never seem to call them cyber women. I wonder what it would be like if they made a cyber woman. I... I uh, well... <laughs> I don't. I'm, uh, I'm not we'll, going to we'll put any brain out. space into that. No, we'll never, never find out because it's never. never happened in any spin-off of Doctor Who ever. Um, Gender equality has so far to go. It really, it, it really <laughs> does. Um, uh, we'll so know that we. This... Go on. <laughs> Why cyber men? We could be cyber theys, you know, <laughs> cyber ladies. Ah, <laughs> uh, love it. Had you seen this one before? Yes, I've seen this one twice before because uh, nice. I really, really like it. I think it's great. Um, I watched it for the first time quite a few years ago, I think just after the animation had come out. Um, mm. And then I watched it when I was getting back into Classic Who last year and did my Cybermen marathon where I got all the way up to the end of the second Doctor era. So, you know, doing well. Um, nice. But yeah, I just, I, I just really like it. It was very nice to return to it. <laughs> especially the nice. animation this animation is so good i like the animation there was a lot of facial detail in the animation. yeah i think it's properly rotoscoped which i think works really well for you mm. know doctor who where a lot of it is face based <laughs> yeah i hadn't seen this one before but i was of course familiar with a lot of the um aspects around it um i'm enjoying seeing charlton sort of getting used to being two yeah that's a lot of fun is it he's just so good he's so good at acting Abe. he's so good i think i think you're the first person to ever make that comment yeah no one else has ever noticed how good patrick troughton was at acting nobody this is why in the world. our podcast is needed yeah it's really groundbreaking of us to say something so controversial <laughs> yet so brave. and yet so brave um 
Yeah, um, so let's launch our rescue rocket uh, and go to the recap. Let's do it. So, the TARDIS arrives in 2070 on the moon, where a weather control station under the command of a man named Hobson is in the grip of a plague ep- epidemic. In reality, the result of an alien poison planted by the Cybermen. Jamie is knocked unconscious and lapses into a delirium, leaving the second Doctor, Ben and Polly to fight off a massive Cyberman attack. I love... They were like, we don't know what to do with Jamie. Fuck. Bonk. Let's knock him out. <laughs> yeah, bonk. It's a very Ian... It's the Ian Chesterton school of hard knocks. Um... <laughs> He just jumps off screen and then like two seconds later they go, oh no, Jamie, there's no sound effects or anything. He's just suddenly knocked it's himself just gone. out. <laughs> and somehow he's got a bruise on his forehead despite the fact that they're wearing space helmets. Maybe he bonked his head on the on the helmet? Maybe. Anyway, mm. he, he, it, it went bonk. He's Mr. Bump, this this serial. Um, I think it would be <laughs> cute if he was just wrapped in bandages in the same way. Mm, that'd be adorable. All right, shall we episode one? Yeah, Absolutely. The TARDIS makes a bumpy landing after the Doctor manages to control its descent. The travellers observe the scanner and Polly says that they have landed on Mars after all. Ben disagrees and says that it must be the moon. <laughs> How the fuck does Ben know? He says he says that he's seen pictures of the moon. Um, cool. Which, I mean, Has he seen pictures of Mars? No, but I mean, we don't know whether diegetically the scanner is in black and white or in colour. <laughs> That's true. So it could be that, like, it would be funnier if you looked at it and goes, it's not red, but obviously as a viewer, um, it's all grey, isn't it? Yeah, that would be also, very funny. Also, ben, ben simply does not trust the Doctor to get anything right ever. So he's or instantly sceptical. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> I love yes. Ben. He's a I great also, companion. Yes. I also absolutely love Jamie's response of, we can't be on the moon. The moon's in the sky. Mm. So good. He's perfect. He's perfect. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. So the Doctor agrees that they're on the moon. Annoyed that he failed to control the ship, he wants to move on straight away, but is overruled by Ben and Polly, who want to explore. The Doctor, le- redu- the doctor reluctantly agrees and decks them out in spacesuits, which look incredible. Yes, we should note that it is episodes one and three which are missing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this one, this Hopping first one, it's like... The animation is wonderful, and also they did manage to have the budget for costume changes, which is always, which <laughs> is always nice. Um, and needed in this one. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so the doctor says, I think we've got some spacesuits in the chest, and he gets his chest out from Power of the Daleks. It's great. It's nice bit of continuity. It's a nice bit of ongoing story yeah, stuff. Definitely, definitely. Um... The travellers explore the surface of the moon. They begin to lark about in the lower gravity despite the doctor's warnings, but Jamie overstretches himself and knocks himself out. As the others go to save him, they discover his unconscious body being carried away into a moon base. They follow and the door opens, welcoming them. I, I would wouldn't say it's massively original... welcoming. Yeah, I'd love to have the original footage of them larking about on the moon because the the footage of the Cybermen larking about on the moon later is so good and I want to it's see the so wire fun. work that they would have done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. Inside the moon base, a staff of workers are operating on a series of consoles. One of the workers suddenly collapses, leaving marks on his face. Hobson, the controller, sends the man to the medical bay to join the others who have come down with this virus, who include the base's doctor, which is not who you want to be stuck with an alien plague. Ben, Polly and the doctor are led in. Hobson allows Polly to look after Jamie in the sick bay, but keeps the doctor and Ben with him. Hobson explains that the moon base is a weather control station that keeps Earth's weather in check. They are using a gravity machine called the Gravitron to control the weather. I love that they accuse them of being Whip, Rip Van Winkle for not knowing about this. It's so funny. <laughs> it's like, you don't know how right you are. Like... <laughs> so it must be 2050s. It's 2070. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
It's beautiful. I also am always entertained at how many times there are like weather control stations in space. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why that just tickles me. I think it's wonderful. I like I like the um it's almost science fact, but not quite. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. <laughs> almost. Um thank you as this is being explained another worker falls ill the doctor offers his services the moon base contacts space control to inform them space control reacts by quarantining the moon base one of the crew informs hobson that their latest communication with space control was listened in on by someone close to the base who could it be oh down in the sick bay Polly is looking after Jamie, who's hallucinating about the Phantom Piper, his clan's variant on the Grim Reaper. It's so good. It's fucking golden. The Phantom Piper. So I good. won't let you get me. <laughs> the Doctor oh. sends Ben back up to the control room, as he needs someone to be keeping an eye on the goings-on up there. He does so, and is allocated to work with Ralph in the food store. Once Ben gets there, he discovers Ralph, who discovers from Ralph that some food bags have inexplicable holes in them. Ralph sends Ben to get some items on the list, and while he's away, Ralph is attacked by a metal hand. <gasps> Gasp. By the time Ben returns, Ralph has disappeared. I love Ben just offering to muck in on whatever's going on. It's very practical of him. It's um, very... While we're here, we might as well do what we can. I think if I was forced to describe Ben Jackson with like one adjective, it would probably be practical. <laughs> Pragmatic. Pragmatic, yeah. He's very yeah. much like, well, I'm stuck on this these adventures in space now. I don't have to enjoy them, but while I'm here... <laughs> I might as well jobs. put myself to work. Yeah. Um, back in the sick bay, Polly discovers the doctor investigating some silver paper. They're interrupted by Dr. Evans, the base's previous doctor, who wakes up and screams something about the silver hand before collapsing dead. The doctor wonders what he might have meant and goes to report the death to Hobson. Polly is very sweet looking after Jamie. <laughs> it's very maternal -ish. Yeah, sisterly. Just yeah. caring generally. It's yeah, giving sweet. a shit. I can see that because Polly's been with the Doctor for a little bit longer, like this responsibility of like gently guiding this bewildered Scott into this world. He's and like he's you know Polly, I think is canonically about twenty five at this yeah, point. Yeah, something like she that. She was born in her character was born in forty two, so yeah, twenty four, twenty five. Mm. And Jamie's meant to be like twenty, so he is very yeah, much a like little boy, baby brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, this pride thing I was at yesterday. Um, I showed up early because this is me yeah. and I was the oldest person there by eight years. Wow. Yeah. This did not remain the case. My friends arrived, other people You're arrived. You're really not that old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There, there's like a bunch of teenagers there, which is amazing, but also, oh my God, they are they are children. Yes. They, I cannot call them children to their faces because they will be upset. But little babies. They are little, little tiny children. So oh young, so precious, we must protect them. We must, we must. But yeah, I love seeing kids at Pride, but mm. I felt incredibly ancient. Yeah. Does this make me a queer elder at the tender age of 27? I was about to ask, are they going to start calling you a queer elder? I mean, in like trans years, I've been out as non-binary for eight years. So. Oh yeah, I... same. <laughs> Yay! Yay! This day and age, I think that's going to change the longer that these kids are out, but currently, definitely in the queer elder in terms of outness years. Yeah. In well, some circumstances, which is weird. This is not my queer monologue podcast, mostly. If only, <laughs> if only we had a queer monologue podcast from AIM. I would love that. <laughs> Don't. Do not tempt me. It'll be nonsense. Ben is reporting the disappearance of Ralph to Hobson when the Doctor comes to explain about Dr. Evans's death. Hobson refuses to report it to Space Control just yet, 
as they will close his operation today. He goes down with the doctor to observe Evans's body. We also need to mention that the doctor offers mm. his services as a doctor and Polly is very yes. dubious yes. about him actually being a doctor. He goes, yes, I think <laughs> I took a degree in Edinburgh in 1888. Oh, uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was Edinburgh. There you yeah, go. It's Glasgow. Lister. Lister. <laughs> so good. So good. Um... Also, like he has a time and space machine and he chooses to study in the late Victorian era. Well, of course, Why? he just happened to be there. He doesn't choose to go anywhere. <laughs> he just happens <laughs> to end up there and he takes he's it like, he takes it as it falls. He's like, so my, my cats have a little treat ball and they just bat it about and sometimes it ends up outside or under the sofa and that's how the Doctor approaches life. Yeah, it was very weird to go from watching this to watching season 10 of the new series where the Doctor <laughs> can just ricochet around um, the galaxy deliberately and at will. Uh, and he knows where he's going and it's like oh man I guess Tuna was just a baby (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes listeners I finally started watching season 10 of the new show I've never seen it and what do you think of Bill Potts she's my wife isn't she good she's my wife she's my wife it's like I saw a tweet the other day that Stephen Stephen Moffat always treated his gay characters as punchlines and I don't necessarily agree like I think he occasionally does but a lot of the time they are characters that exist you know Mm. and like some of them are recurring some of them are recurring and some of them aren't and it's like you know at least he has them at least he has them in the show the bar is still that low yeah but also like i like them you know and the thing is that it can't be bad if i like it that that's just basic media criticism (laughs) i'm giving you a look which does not concern the (laughs) medium of podcasting i am joking you know that i know however i do know (laughs) Feel your disapproval. Through the <laughs> oh, I'm glad I've got that like transcendence through the microphone. I was watching, I was watching the moon base, and then I went, "Man, I really want to watch clips from." For some reason, I want to watch clips from Twice Upon a Time. Don't ask me why. So I went and did that, and Bill was there, and I was like, "You know what? I really should watch another episode with Bill in besides this one." She's so good. Mm. She is everything. I like her puddle girlfriend. Oh, her puddle girlfriend. This is a weird show. Let's keep talking about it's it. It's very good. <laughs> in the sick bay, Polly is helping Jamie to drink some water. He wakes up to see a figure behind Polly. She turns and sees it disappear through the door. <gasps> she screams, alerting the doctor and others. On exploration, there is found to be nothing there. Hobson puts, da- puts this down to Polly's nerves. Fuck off, Hobson. Rude. Hobson goes over to Dr. Evans's bed, but finds the body is gone. <gasps> he asks the doctor if he is playing a sick joke. But the doctor assures him he isn't. Hobson is informed of another crew member going down with the virus and leaves, telling the doctor that he'll be kicked out if he can't find Evans's body. Oh, yeah. The doctor goes to explore whilst Polly leaves to fetch Jamie some water. He awakes to see a Cyberman approaching him, convinced that it is the Phantom Piper. He collapses. God, poor Jamie. Get the brilliant. No, Phantom Piper! You won't get me! You're not taking me with you, Phantom Piper! Yeah, over on, and over and it. over. I've got Chakatea. Gone, gone. Uh, let's see how our impression is of, of our boy. Okay, uh, shall we do like contrasting line line reads? Yeah, hang on. It's you, the Phantom Piper, and then the episode ends, and then the beginning of episode two. There's a lot more. <laughs> God, can we quickly since the since the Cyberman has now appeared, let's talk about the Cyberman redesign because it whips. It's so much better than the socks over faces. Now, here's the thing, Aim. I don't agree. <laughs> I think. All that, right. 
All right, come on, let's bring it. Let's put it on the I table. I think that in the modern show, Mondesi and Cyberman are not as scary as the ones in the original because they are deliberately mimicking the slightly crap nature of the costume. Whereas in the original, <laughs> the fact that it was slightly crap was not intentional. It was like <laughs> accepted. And I mean that I mean that in the sense of like the construction of it and the quality, because the actual effect of seeing them has always freaked me the fuck out. They are the scariest Cybermen, the original ones. Because it's like they are very uncanny valley. I think that's why I don't like them. I don't like to look at them. I don't like to think no, about see, them. They make is, me want this to is the disappear. Thing. The fact that they the fact that they do that means that they're very good. But I also love this redesign because it is um it's a good evolution of the concept, right? You can imagine that after they finally replace all the organs, they go, Well, we don't need all of this cloth anymore. Um mm. Like it's an efficiency upgrade, but my, my I mean when we get to the tenth planet, we can talk more about how the Mondesi and Slime Men haunt my nightmares. Um but yeah, they've changed that and they've also changed the voice, which I think is mm. I don't know how I feel about changing the voice. I think it's it's ends up being more like a Dalek and it's like, but no, the whole thing with the Cybermen was that they sounded different and creepy. I think they're more audible. They are more audible, because it was more sing song before. Yeah. I wonder if somebody had pitched Tenth Planet esque Cybermen in Yuhu, they would have gone that way of like haunting childhood villain rather than robotic. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, because I showed my housemate uh, Rise of the Cyberman: Age of Steel a couple of weeks, like last week. It's her first Doctor Who, and she liked it. But I was watching it, and the okay. Cybermen, even though they're intimidating in that, they're not. They're not actually scary beyond oh, as like agree. as like uh, a mook, like a like a mob of henchmen for Loomis. Like the thing about these Cybermen is that they still have individual will, um, and they're not robots. Yeah. They're still p. They're still like humans with the conscience removed um, yeah which is the same as in not- like two of the side men starts moving away from that and it's that's the point where we sort of lose the complexity of it i think yeah and they become a bit i know the side men have never been my favorites because they do just feel a little bit samey a little bit it's hard to do anything new and interesting with them because they're quite one note a lot of the time. Yeah, which I think is... I don't even necessarily know that it's hard to do something new with them. It's that people don't try to do something new with them. Like That might be it, yeah. Or maybe they're so stuck in the idea of this is how you must do it that they, they don't push that. And there might be some really cool stuff in Big Finish. But I, just I mean, there fucking it is. <laughs> you need to listen to spare parts, Abe. You need to listen to spare parts. It's okay, so good. Okay, fine. I will... It's how long is it in total? Because I, I it's an hour and a half. Take a long... Oh, oh, gods! Yeah, I'll do that. I walk tomorrow. All the big finish, well, pretty much all the big finish audios are four parts, just like classic serial. Um, and they fucking rock. I love spare parts. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the new side design. Um, yeah. So the difference is that this one is now made of like, I mean, it's it non non diegetically. I assume it's made of plastic, but it's like a metal head casing and then like rubber suits with three fingers and um. Mm. <laughs> field hockey balls attached to the arms with juicing. <laughs> yep, it's strong. I think also because they look so like similar but different to the original Cybermen. And this one, um, it's before they introduced the teardrops on the eyes. So it's way, it's much, like the circular eyes really mess with me. They're quite creepy. I don't like them. I don't like them at all. They're very But in like bad, a way where we actually. do love them is the thing. Oh, yes. And also in the animation, I love them, but they, they are haunt me. terrifying. Like the animation of them yeah. is absolutely yeah. like, awful and They've got the movement scary. right as well. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, I think this is the first one with an animation where like, I think that the animation, like I want to watch the original, but I was no longer thinking about how much better the original version would be. Hmm. 
Because this one is so much closer to being uh, a performed episode of Doctor Who, I think, because of the rotoscoping and etc. Some of the movement as well. There's little. There's a bit at the start of episode three where it's picking up from episode two. At, at the end of episode two, in the like crossing, the bit that plays on both, Jamie knocks something over and it wobbles. And then the start of episode three, they animate the wobble as well, and it just makes it feel so organic. Oh, is that when the Simon gets off the table and it wobbles? Yes, my favorite. Yeah, thing. that's it. That's the one. God, okay. Well, I mean, we can we can talk more about this in a bit, I guess. So yeah, that sounds good. Let's episode do it. two. Episode two. Uh, Jamie's screaming about the Phantom Piper. Um, the Cyberman goes to take another bo- body, but as he leaves, Polly witnesses the Cyberman's exit. She screams, which alerts the Doctor and the others. Polly insists it was a Cyberman, but Hobson does not believe her due to lack of evidence. He's such a fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> He's the worst. He's the worst. I don't know. Uh, we've definitely seen worse men on Doctor Who, but. He's the worst in this story. He's the worst in this story. Um, I do like that the Doctor immediately believes Polly because, you know... Yes. He They've got that trust it. thing going on and I like it. Yeah, they're so lovely. It's like Polly is the most grown-up of the companions currently in the TARDIS, which is a horrendous thought. Um, <laughs> including the Doctor. Including the Doctor. I forgot until today that Polly's surname is canonically Wright, which is also Barbara's surname. <laughs> they just couldn't think... Are they cousins? Are they Maybe, cousins? I don't think they're canonically cousins, but it would be very funny if they were cousins because Polly is like... I don't think she's an honourable, but she is rich. Um, yeah. It is just... It, it's objectively quite funny. <laughs> yes, I would agree. They couldn't think of another last name. They could have spelt it differently. They could have spelt it differently. But yes, yeah, so um, he sends guards out to scour the base for any signs. Hobson begins to suspect that the situation might be down to the presence of the Doctor and his friends as the situation has only escalated since their arrival. Ben says they are more than happy to leave, but the Doctor says they have to stay as he feels he should stay and protect the base from the evils of the universe. This is like an iconic Second Doctor line. Mm. It's like... It's, it's, it's very... <sighs> It's principled and mm. it's calm and serious, and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> and yet, still, it's got that sense of like quiet honor. Yeah, it's, it's not bombastic. It's very. But it's good. all there. Yeah, there are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things, things which act against everything that we believe in. They must be fought, and then like, like the Tories. Yeah, this disease, for instance, and you're like, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> It isn't really a disease at all, but I can help you with it. <laughs> I love him. It's such a good episode. Like, the Doctor's good in everything, but this is a good episode for the Doctor getting to figure, thi- th- figure things out and, like, solve crime, yeah. I guess. And it's also, it felt very much not like a Doctor-centric story. But he, stuff was happening around him rather than because of him. But he did have lots of little moments to shine like that. Indeed. Uh, Hobson gives the Doctor 24 hours to sort out the situation or else he has to leave the moon base. He says, like, one Earth cycle. And Ben is like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Left alone, the Doctor says that he wants to analyse everything in the moon base. When asked if he is a medical doctor, he says he took a medical degree in Glasgow in 1888 under Joseph Lister. Name dropper. I love him. (laughs) Back in the control room, Hobson notices that the Gravitron is becoming faulty and is stopping them from being able to control the Hurricane on Earth. The commander of the Space Control contacts them and states that it is of the utmost importance that they protect mainland America from this Hurricane. Hobson sets out testing every part of the centre. I like this, it reminds me of Seeds of Death because it's again like the world is some kind of communist utopia where everyone's Mm. working together. Um, Because like the team at the moon base is also... 
I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say multicultural, but it is international. <laughs> international. There is in the there's animation. There's a French guy. Yeah, in the animation, there's a black crew member, but I don't know if that's something that they added because they did that in Fury from the Deep as well, adding, you mm. know, a more diverse background cast, which I approve of. Um, I, like, cause I don't know if that's he, uh, that it's he only appeared in those episodes or if they just decided, but it works, you know, it's nice to see, even if he doesn't get any lines <laughs> or do anything. Um... Mm. I think I mentioned this in our Tomb of the Cybermen episode, but it does, it is a nice change from Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh Oh boy. Oh. Oh boy. Uh, Oh boy. Yeah. Listen to our episode for Dolly Mixtures and Racism. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's a very bad one. But this is a good one. Um, This is much better. Hobson starts about testing every part of the centre. The Doctor enters and begins to take samples from the crew as they go about their work. They begin to get frustrated as they find nothing wrong, and then Benoit snaps at the Doctor in French, and I get to feel smug for understanding it. What did he say? He goes, Et là, qu'est-ce que vous fabriquez ici, messelle d'idiotes? Vous n'avez rien d'autre à faire? Vous croyez que nous sommes en train de nous amuser? Um, I understood her. Which that. means, uh, essentially, what are you doing, you idiots? Don't you have yeah, anything else to do? Do you think that we're here to amuse you? Come on, get... And then he <laughs> says, oh, come on, get out of the way in English. Uh, and then the doctor says, enchanté, monsieur. <laughs> what a uh, sassy bitch. This is tr- clearly before the translation circuit is canonised. Um, or, yeah. I or just talk, talk. I just love that it's un- it's untranslated French for Benoit to just bitch at him. And I'm like, yes. I'm half I'm half <laughs> expecting to say cassitoi, you know, like, come on. Beautiful. Are you impressed with my French translation? <laughs> I have never been more impressed. Thanks, babe. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, I was very pleased. Like, this is the level of French I can speak. <laughs> <laughs> In the medical bay, Ben leaves Polly to get some water. Every time they leave her alone in this fucking medical bay, something bad happens. Poor Polly. Um, ben leaves Polly to get some more supplies. When he is gone, a side man sneaks up to Jamie and Polly and attacks them both. He goes to take Jamie before deciding to take another body. So he does his, like, special effects lightning beam in the air at Polly. <laughs> um, <laughs> very good, actually. Jamie wakes up at this point um, and he says, oh, what is this place? Is this a home of the Piper? And Polly says, no, we're on the moon. You know, the moon up in the sky. <laughs> Maybe it is the home of the Piper. Maybe it is. Hold that thought, folks. Maybe it is. Um, So yes, the doctor enters and nurses Polly back to health. It's very sweet. He's very concerned. Um, Unbeknownst to anyone on the base, there is a hole in the food bay where at least one Cyberman is stowed away. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. Like, (laughs) they literally later on, the Cybermen explain their plan. (laughs) It's like, we knocked a hole in a wall and hid it with some bags and none of you fucking noticed. Are you stupid? (laughs) It's really wild. It's very funny. Um, In the control room, one of the engineers discovers a fault with one of the antennae. Hobson asks when it went awry and is told it tallies with the Doctor's arrival. This makes him more convinced that the Doctor and his friends uh, about the Doctor and his friends, and he goes to kick them off the moon base. As he does, he is told by Ben that another person has been taken from the sick bay. <gasps> um, Who could it be? How can this keep happening? Yeah, Ben does a lot of sort of fetching and carrying in this serial. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really, you know, I just like him. Like, I was trying to write down stuff that he did, and the fact is that he just has a good vibe, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to try, trying to think of a full response to that in a... Um... I can wait. He just makes himself part of the furniture. 
Yeah, he's just like, very much like... There's something adaptable about him. Yeah, he's a working man and he works wherever he goes. It's like, yeah. It's not... I just... And it, as I've said before, it is just nice to have a companion on Doctor Who that is English and has a non-RP accent. Because obviously we've got <laughs> Jamie, who's Scottish. Oh boy. Um, yeah. But then we won't have another non-RP accent until, what, like, Rose? <laughs> Tegan's Australian. Yeah, like Grace I'm thinking, is from like, California. Yeah. But even then, they're very standardised rather than yeah. I'm thinking like English and non RP, so it'll probably be Rose. Obviously, there might be others. Northern companion. God, Ace feels like she should be Northern, but she's not. Yeah, Ace feels Ace has a less council estate. She's less RP. Like I think Sophie Aldred goes with it, but they still like they won't let her. You know, use slang except for Wicked. Um, (laughs) Sounds like she's a twelve year old, but you know we love her. Um, we love her very much. We do love her very, very much. That feels completely unsurprising, but kind of wild. Yeah. I think oh. that also comes from like from the perspective of somebody who grew up in the 90s and noughties, where that was more and more just a thing on TV. Well, you know, like, Blake 7, uh, Vila Ristal has, like, I guess, like, a... God, like, a kind of an estuary or, like, East like East End accent in the first series, mm. and then they were like, stop doing that, and made him have an RP accent. And it's like, Ugh. no, his character is a wheeler no. and dealer, come on! Just let them... Yes. Two crew members prepare themselves to go out and check the antennae. In the sick bay... The Doctor explains to Polly that he has tested everything on the base and has found nothing. When Hobson enters, the Doctor acts like he is too busy to talk to him, pushing out of the- I love this. Pushing him out of the laboratory. It's, it's so good. What he deserves. Yeah, he's just like, okay, we're gonna have to do this as a reason. He's like, oh, I think I've- No, you must- You must get away from the door! Let it slide close! <laughs> the slides! The dust! <laughs> Fussy little man. I love him. Ooh, love it. Um... Yes, when he tries to kick the Doctor off the moon base, the Doctor pretends to have found something. As soon as Hobson leaves, the Doctor tells Polly it was all a ruse and that he is nowhere. Polly offers to make coffee for everyone. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's so sexist, it's funny, is the thing. For me, anyway. It's like, you you can't believe that this is the role that they have given Polly at this point in the story. But at least she is the one saying, I guess I'll make coffee, rather than Yeah, and also it does turn out to be plot. It turns out to be plot important. Um, Yes. Out on the surface of the moon, the two engineers are attacked by Cybermen, stripped of their suits and taken away. Ooh. Ooh. As the coffee is served to the crew, the Doctor admits that he has no clue as to what is causing the disease. As Hobson and the Doctor talk, one of the crew collapses, another subject of the disease. He is taken to the sickbay. As Hobson is about to drink his coffee, the Doctor knocks it from his hand, suspecting that it is the sugar that is contaminating his crew. Only certain crew members were affected because not everyone takes sugar. He Fucking wild, the- I love it. I absolutely I adore this as a plot method mechanism. It's such a fun solution to the mystery. Like, it's not a long-standing mystery or anything, but it's very fun. Um, and, you know, someone drinks it and he goes, ah! And then he, like, knocks the coffee out of Hobson's hand, but because there isn't actually any liquid in it, the sugar just goes flying across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> just an empty mug with sugar in it. Um, Wild. I just, I, I spotted that and thought it was quite fun. Um, did I? He rushes down to the sick bay and his suspicions are confirmed when he finds a large neurotropic virus that attacks the nerves laced with the sugar. When I say I shrieked with delight when there was a microscope shot on this, on this episode, <laughs> I was so pleased. Like, <laughs> they do an actual, they have an actual, have an actual footage of the slide. Like, yes, I love it. Science. On Doctor Who. It's so good. Like, just delightful. Just delightful. More of this, Um, please. 
Hobson asks how it has been put there, and the Doctor states it must be the Cybermen. Hobson says that his men have looked everywhere. Conspiratorially, the Doctor asks if they have checked in the sick bay where they are now. This is so good. Um... Mm. Hobson says they didn't have to, as there is always someone in here. They begin to look around when they discover a Cyberman on one of the beds covered by sheets. So good. It's possibly the best television I've ever yes, seen. Yes, the boots sticking out at the end are so <laughs> funny. Like, oh boy. So po- good. Yeah, Polly gasps in horror as it gets off the bed and moves towards them. Dot, dot, dot. God. I love it. I love how much moves forward in that episode as well. Yeah, it's very pacey. Like every, every mm. time, every, sorry, I can't speak today. Every time I watch it, I'm shocked by like how much it just like whizzes by when you're watching it. And you're like, oh yeah, pace. Oh, it really does pace. Yeah, it, it can do it. It's possible. Yes. <laughs> uh, episode three. We're still on the med bay. Another Cyberman enters. Bob, a crew member, is killed when he tries to attack one of the Cybermen. The new Cyberman links back to the Cyber ship. The Cybermen explain that the men that have gone missing are not dead, just altered, and that Jamie was left because his head was damaged in the fall, rendering him useless to the Cybermen. Aww. Okay. I mean, I'm glad that he's okay, but also rude. The Cybermen order Hobson to take them to the control room and tell Ben and Polly to remain in the sickbay. In the Cybership, the Cybermen are converting the members of the crew to operate under their control. They are placed into capsules for delivery back to the moon base. We should probably mention like what the the, the presentation of this space disease is, because it's fucking cool. It's wild. It's um it's like veins sort of creeping down people's faces. Mm, black veins going all the way where yeah. their where their nerves are. And there's a shot at one point when someone like they look at him as it's happening and they manage to do like a progressive shot of it creeping up the veins and it's or the nerves. Really in good. It's, it's really so impressive. fun. Like I love it. You know? And it's a very yes. good visual indication of the spook factor. Um, and I think this is the first indication of them converting people. I know that they say they're going to do it in Tenth Planet, or at least I recall them saying that. Mm. It's yeah. nice to to move a little bit closer to it, and it adds more to their lore and how that what, what that means. In the control room, the crew attempt to contact the engineers who went out to fix the aerial. There's no response. Their activity is disrupted by Hobson leading in the Cybermen. They explain that they are to take over the Gravitron to destroy the Earth so as to eliminate any danger. They also explain that they gained access to the moon base under the ground. Loving the idea of these little little Cybermen just digging a tunnel. It's very good. Yeah. Like, they, they, they're so mean to them in a way that is very funny. They're like, feelings, we do not have feelings, we are simply good at digging tunnels. Like, <laughs> you stupid humans could not notice that we were simply in the cupboard the whole time. <laughs> you did not consider the simple mole. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Back in the sick bay, Jamie wakes up and the trio talk about how to get rid of the Cybermen. Ben speculates about radiation while Jamie suggests holy water. He's my boy. He is full of ideas. I love yeah, it. and it it's like it gives them a good idea. <laughs> exactly. It's so good. Polly takes Jamie's idea and thinks about how nail varnish dissolves plastic. And thinks about how nail varnish remover dissolves plastic. It's so and that good. The, and that the Cybermen's control panel seems to be made of plastic. It's so good. She's so smart. She's so She's clever. So smart. It's... I also just love this collaborative problem solving. Yeah, like Ben's like, well, there's radiation, but the stuff here is thermonuclear. And Jamie's like, what's the problem with that? And he goes, well, it's four million degrees inside. So. <laughs> 
Uh, ben and Polly mix together a number of solvents and place them mm-hmm. in a spray. The trio try- the trio leave armed with their corrosive liquid. It's funny because they're not mixing them together to make them more effective. They're like, well, one of them will work. So they just put all of them <laughs> in the same bottle. No concern for what this is going to do to their lungs. <laughs> None yeah. at all. Exactly. It's very good. Um, by which I mean, don't try this at home. It's very good to watch. Yes. In the control room, the old crew, now under the control of the Cybermen, are led in and take the places of the human crew controlling the Gravitron. The Doctor fiddles with a piece of machinery that renders the controlled crew temporarily useless. Mm. The Doctor speculates that they are under sonic control. He speculates that the Cybermen are having the controlled crew work on the Gravitron because they don't like gravity. He's having a fucking conversation with his own internal monologue. Yeah, it's one of the very few times that we see the Doctor's sort of internal thought pattern. It's so good. Um, It's so good. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love this serial so much. I'd really forgotten how fucking good it is. It's it's full of great moments. I also just love that they don't like gravity. When it's put like that, it's just like, oh no, not no gravity for me, please. Gravity. <laughs> Sensing the change in weather, Earth attempts to contact the moon base, but the Cybermen order that there is to be no reply. Earth asks them to deploy a flare if they are under duress. One of the controlled crew collapses under the exposure to the thermonuclear power in the Gravitron, but the Cybermen make him come back to life. Fucking terrifying. Yeah, genuinely. As the Doctor begins to experiment with the Cybermen's sonic control, Ben, Polly, and Jamie enter, spraying their solvents, which have the desired effect. It's so cool! Fucking badasses. It's, so it's cool. very good. Like, doesn't, like, Polly says no, Ben says no, Polly, me and Jamie are going to go, this is men's work, and then she follows and is like, fuck off, Ben, I'm doing this, yeah. obviously. It was my idea. <laughs> I love it. Um... It's wild how Doctor Who can veer between criticising characters for being sexist and then as a show being extremely sexist in the same episode of the same serial <laughs> too tired of sexism to have a fully formed response oh 60s Ugh. the cybermen crumble to the floor the doctor quickly removes the headpieces from the controlled crew who are then rushed to the sick bay in the cybership the waiting cybermen note the lack of contact from their colleagues one of the cybermen colleagues! tells the other to prepare <laughs> Go on, go Sorry, on, have I a moment. I'm mashing them all in like an office. <laughs> the cyber office, the, like Jim and Pam are cyber converted. Fuck. Having little cyber conversations by the cyber water cooler. Exactly. Planning the cyber Christmas party. <laughs> Showing each other pictures of their cyber mats on their cyber phones. <laughs> Sending each other snarky cyber emails. Mm. Actually, you don't need to say cyber emails, do you? I think you do, actually, to be, to be okay, you know, completely Okay, cyber clear. emails to cyber snark about their cyber colleagues. Yes, absolutely. Cyber <laughs> is a very important prefix. Do they? Would it be called cyber cybering <laughs> if they had cyber sex? <laughs> I was going to say, what would happen if they retrained in cyber? <laughs> They're all in cyber cyber security. <laughs> Surely that would be cyber, cyber, cyber security. <laughs> I think we can't go much further than this, or we will just like cyber lose it. Um... Too late. I have to go and talk to cyber HR. <laughs> or would that actually be cyber, cyber? cyber, cyber no, stop. <laughs> cyber my resources. <laughs> Oh, I love how stupid this joke is. It's so good. It brings me so much joy. I'm literally imagining my office, but everyone's a Cyberman. <laughs> you turn up in the morning, you go, good morning, how are you? 
<laughs> I am adequate. Do you, have, <laughs> do you have many meetings today? Yes, I have one with a division. I am okay with any number of meetings because I do not have emotions. <laughs> I cannot However, tire. I, need... I have been here for four days. <laughs> However, I need a cyber cigarette break soon. <laughs> That's just vaping. <laughs> yeah, Cybermen vape. God, of course Cybermen vape. They're ripping fat clouds. Um, God, shit, we're nearly at the end of episode three. Are we just... <laughs> I need a picture of a Cyberman vaping. Okay, the Cybermen crumble to the floor. The Doctor quickly removes the headpieces from the control crew, who are then rushed to the sickbay. In the Cybership, the waiting Cybermen note the lack of contact from their colleagues. That's where we were, mm-hmm. colleagues. One of the Cybermen tells the other to prepare their weapons for the invasion of the base. On the moon base, Benoit, a member of the crew, suggests he go out and look for the engineers that went missing. Hobson agrees, but says he needs to be observed by another member of the crew. Benoit finds the suits and contacts the moon base. As he does, he hears his crewmate warning him of a Cyberman, but Benoit doesn't see it until he turns and it is directly behind him. Spooky. The Cyberman attempts to shoot at him, but his gun does not work in the space vacuum. Mm -hmm. Quite funny. Benoit rushes off with the Cybermen in pursuit. Benoit is tiring and will be caught before returning to the moon base, but Ben emerges from the airlock and throws a flask of the corrosive liquid at the Cyberman. And then it fucking dissolves and it's horrifying. It's horrifying, yeah. Like it's, white it's, goo it's... comes out of everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit much. <laughs> Sorry. Back on the moon um, bit. It, it reminds go, go, me go. visually of uh, one, Don't say the, the, thing. The, uh, the, the house from Girl of the Third Floor, which I've talked about in an outtake from the podcast. Um, <laughs> and also of the film The Stuff. It's very much like the film The Stuff, if you've seen that. That's an awful title for a film. Yeah, and yet it's fucking amazing. It's an incredible <laughs> film. It's a critique of capitalism. That I'm down for mm. any day of the week. It's like, it's bad, but it's also very good. Um, Back on the moon base, Hobson prepares for more assaults. They have located the cybership. Hobson goes to look at it in the telescope and sees an army of Cybermen marching across the surface of the moon be- towards them. And that's it. That's that's the episode. It's such a good cliffhanger. And the music, oh my god. Oh my god. They're using that um Cybermen Cyberman theme. Yeah. Of... It was yeah, it was first used here so and then they reused it in Tomb because it's so fucking good. It's so good. And it's like you can't really recreate it because it's so techno and like synth it's so, oh my god it's so good i'm sure it'll be the uh outro music for the previous episode of the podcast it's um, so good yes episode four so we're back on and we are now in live action again because previous episode was animated mm-hmm. um episode four the cybermen contact the moon base to tell them that they have surrounded them and that resistance is useless resistance is useless it's very borg um it i like is. to think that the borg are based they on almost the said futile I, I I could write an essay about the com- similarities and differences between Borg and Cybermen, but we'd be here for a very long time. Hobson is defiant and replies that they have blocked their point of entry. Hobson attempts to contact Earth and finds that the signal has been jammed through the Cybermen interfering with it. The crew speculate that all they need to do is wait it out for the relief craft that Earth would send due to the lack of communication with the moon base. The, sh- the Cybership has picked up the imminent arrival of the ship from Earth and orders the army of Cybermen to deal with that first before gaining entry to the moon base. One of the Cybermen transmits an out-of-control signal which awakens Evan... Oh 
transmit out a control signal which awakens Evans in the Moonbase sickbay. He knocks his guard out and leaves the sickbay. Evans manages to infiltrate the control room. He sneaks into the control centre of the Gravitron, knocking out the crew member and taking his place. The rest of the crew are delighted to see the relief craft approach but become confused when it begins to change course and accelerate. The ship is on a direct path towards the sun. Oh my god! <laughs> I really cannot tell how they have managed to like like how does how does evans sneak in to the thermonuclear control bit <laughs> when someone's been in there for six hours he goes in and just takes over and <laughs> they only they only notice when they go over and they're like who's in the control room and he turns around and he's covered in those like black nerve veins like yeah it's drama high drama reminds me a bit and not necessarily visually but just like emotionally of the bits in impossible planet and satan pit where that guy's covered in like runes mm, or whatever oh my god i love it event I, horizon it reminds me of event horizon um nice. which i imagine i i don't know that this is true but i like to think that impossible planet and satan pit has owes something to event horizon <laughs> um, not what i'm familiar with Oh, it is a Paul W.S. Anderson film from the late 90s, I believe, which I watched recently. It's like, um, some people have to go and try and rescue a spaceship that has recently reappeared after being missing, and it turns out that the spaceship had opened a portal to hell. Um, Holy shit! It's very good. I love this. Well, okay. I say it's, it's schlocky, but it's also good. It's got uh, Sean Pertwee in it. Huh, okay. Yeah. It's like a foul-mouthed pilot, and you're like, ah, oh, yes, excellent. Um, Beautiful. The Doctor suggests that the only thing that would have caused this would be some sort of deflection from the Gravitron. It is then they discover Evans in control of the Gravitron and guilty of diverting the ship. I wouldn't say that he's guilty of diverting the ship. The Cybermen <laughs> are guilty of diverting the ship. Evans is dead. Yes. Um, yep. The Doctor sends Jamie and Ben to go to the sickbay to ensure that the other crew have not been reanimated and to barricade them inside. They guard the outside, but soon enough the crew awake and try to make their way through the barricade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some people try to get through the door and they ram them with the table they're about to barricade it with. It's very good. Yep, it's... Dr- it, 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 again intense i think is how i'd ben and jamie have a great double act in the serial where they're kind of a very they have a lot of animosity and yet also they're like besties <laughs> they have what we call in the business chemistry indeed indeed that's what it is um and not just because they mix all those solvents together <laughs> thank you oh boy in the control room, Hobson is using the tannoy to try to reason with Evans, but to no avail. They decide to rush him, but are stopped by the Cybermen communicating with them, saying that the moon base is now under their control. They fire a laser into the side of the moon base, sucking the oxygen out. As the crew begin to suffocate, Hobson and Benoit fix the hole using a coffee tray. It's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. And silly. It's perfect television. No one should ever criticise this, because they would be incorrect <laughs> to criticise it. <laughs> would it work? No. Do I no. care? No. <laughs> um it's the future maybe the coffee tray is made of like vibranium or something it doesn't matter Uh, 2070 anything goes yeah amongst the chaos the doctor notices that evans has collapsed and moves him from the control room to hobson and the doctor's shock another cybership lands and a weapon is unloaded from it the cybership landing you can see the wires and it's perfect (laughs) <laughs> it's just a little flying saucer classic doctor who tiny little yes, flying saucer good. the crew die for cover but the doctor stoically stands his ground as they fire the yes laser he is... does yes he does as they fire the laser is deflected from the gravitational force of the gravitron this success gives the doctor an idea he asks if the gravitron can be dipped so low it could have a bearing on the surface of the moon ben warren hobson say it has never been tried but they attempt it with a few minor adjustments to the machine it is achieved which sends the cybermen and their ships floating off into space yes wild also a very quick fix <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's such a, like, I love it though because the shot of the Cybermen, like, leaving the surface of the moon is incredible. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. The there. aerial work of them slowly <laughs> floating away, genuinely, I love it. Um, I think we could do with more just sending aliens into space. <laughs> like, they're not going to necessarily die out there, but they won't be able to get anywhere because they don't have propulsion. <laughs> Maybe like they're the still there. Of- TOS where there's the Jack the Ripper alien and they deal with it by just yeeting him out to space. Yeah, jettison the airlocks. No more Jack the Ripper alien to make Scotty be misogynist. Um, <coughs> Yeet the aliens. Yeet, Yeet the, the aliens. aliens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For whom does the Cyberman yeet? Um... <laughs> oh god. Anyway. Um, before Hobson has a chance to thank the Doctor, he and his companions have disappeared. And they all, like, all the people on the, on the moon base just get back to their jobs very quickly. Yeah, as if nothing has happened. Yeah. Borrowing some spacesuits to get back to the TARDIS, they see a ship fly overhead. The Doctor speculates that this will not be the last they see of the Cybermen. Once back at the TARDIS, the Doctor is curious to see what becomes of the moon base and elects to use his time scanner to see its future. Before he gets a chance to do this, Polly, now stricken with fear, points out that a large claw has emerged onto the yes. scanner. Macra! 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 <laughs> to remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. But yeah, so the moon base, huh? Very fucking good. I like it. Yeah, I, I like how Pacia is. I like the way yeah. they play oh. with the dynamics of the TARDIS crew. I was so rude earlier. I, I didn't like ask Hobson. you. I didn't ask you what your history with the serial was. I forgot to say. Oh, not seen it. Yeah, there Haven't you go. Seen not seen it, but it's very good. And I like the more we see of Ben and Polly, the more I'm like, oh yeah, they are really good. They are. I w- I wish we had more of them. Yeah, yeah. Do when do they leave? They leave in the faceless ones brilliant title so we don't get much of them at all then they have quite a short run no they've got uh war machines the smugglers 10th planet uh power highlanders underwater menace this macra and then faceless ones i think so nine okay that feels short as more than vicky it is more than Vicky. I think it's because most of them Significantly more than Dodo. Yeah, although to be fair, Vicky is in like some of the longer ones. I say longer That's ones. True. But, you know, I think like, and also Vicky is in like, you know, the Romans and fucking um, the Crusade and stuff. So the, they're true. stories that survive for us, Ben and Polly. As we've ever just get lost to time. They're only intact serials. They've got the War Machines. Uh, do they have any other intact serials? Um... Tenth Planet's missing Mac- some. Macrotella. Macrotella Macra- and Terra is not ones. intact. <laughs> is it not? Macrotella and Faceless Ones are both animated. Are they? Oh, I was just going by what's not bolded. Ah. Uh, well, no, I, I don't bold those because they're animated. Um, yeah. The only, the only intact okay. ones are... Because Tenth Planet's missing one. So War Machine Smugglers is missing. Tenth Planet is, as I say, missing one. Um, Power of the Daleks is missing. Highlanders is missing. Underwater Menace is missing some. This is missing two. Uh, this is just tragic. Macro Terror is missing. Faceless Ones is missing five, I think. So there's only... Oh, God, there's only one intact Ben and Polly serial? That's not fair. Jeez. That's not okay. No. There is no justice in this world. Oh, my God. I never really thought about it like that before. Justice for Ben and Polly. At least they get to, you know, be cute. <laughs> they have a good dynamic and they get to spend time with Jamie in space. They do. Um, I mean, we both we both really liked this serial. And I've seen it before, so it was kind of just like a sinking into a warm bath. I was like, yay, the Cybermen! I love the Cybermen. <laughs> like, I know that we've established you don't like them as much because they do get a little stale, <laughs> but I really love these early Cyberman stories before they kind of... They're more interesting. They, they have the quite menace. got into that rut. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, this is only the second Cyberman story, so it's, you know, it's already it a reinvention like of the concept, and I really like it. 
Yeah. I, I was happily surprised by how much I enjoyed it. An apple a day keeps the... Uh... No, never mind. Shall we talk about this grumpy man? I love him. He's just a fussy little man. He's great. Just, I I don't, it's so hard to explain why Patrick Troughton is such a fantastic doctor, because if you kind of attempt to explain it, it doesn't get across that he is just the most full of life as an actor. Like, he really embodies it so perfectly, and he feels oh, yeah. like such a, a, an, odd, an oddity on screen. You're like, this man does not seem human somehow. It's like this this unknowable ancientness that's also combined with him being a little bit of a little shit. It's very good. Yeah, it's how quickly and how authentically he slips between these these states yeah. of being almost wizened but also childlike. Like, yeah, he holds all of these truths about this very complicated alien in the same breath. Yeah, it's, and it's beautiful. I mean, it makes it um, really more clear how Matt Smith was influenced by Patrick Troughton when he was massively. God, yeah. Matt Smith is good at acting. Sorry. Matt <laughs> Smith is funny. underrated. Matt Smith is underrated um, in the sense that his era becomes messy as fuck, but he is always good. I just, I also really like um, when the Cyberman says that you are known to us, the Doctor. Like, mm. how? <laughs> and also that recognition of him when we're still in this like transitory stage of getting used to two as the Doctor. Yeah, it's... <sighs> I just find it so fascinating. Like, <laughs> I, I want to look at like a timeline of the Cybermen stories because obviously 10th Planet, he is the first Doctor and then this is the next chronological story and he's the second Doctor and they recognise him. Mm-hmm. And I want to know <laughs> what story occurred in the interim for them to do that or if it's genuinely that they just recognise the think they just recognize essence him. of the Doctor like, without him having to yeah, do anything. I think because how must Cybermen be able to recognise each other? Mm. There must be something they have about recognising a sense of self beneath veneer. Yeah, I guess that's the level, because Cybermen do have technically individuality, they just don't have feelings about it, right? Like, yeah. at least these Cybermen, later on they become kind of drones, I guess, unless they remove the emotion, emotional inhibitor. They don't have an emotional inhibitor in this, they just don't have emotions because of what's happened to them. And it's not clear if that... Because mm. it feels like it could be some kind of, you know, metaphor for trauma if you read into it. But it's also like yeah, the removal that. of all of the elements of your humanity is like a ship of Theseus thing. A side yes. man is, is not... Is it still the same person if... Yeah. If you replace every part of it with something else. Mm. We can talk about that in critique because now I'm really like, oh yeah, Cybermen. Let's talk about Cybermen. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the Doctor while we're on this area? <sighs> I just think he's so old in this story and it's really good. Oh, I love that observation. Like he he doesn't he doesn't really want to stay but he knows he has to and that's such a change from ones early on where he just wanted to leave or he wanted to stay because he was curious rather than because he felt obligated to help. Um mm. I think that also says something about Ben and Polly's approach as well and they're yeah. so keen to stay yeah. as well. Jamie's just along for the ride. Oh yeah, Jamie is just a confused Confused little guy. And we love him. He's just a little Pinballed guy. across the universe. Yes. <laughs> just a dude. He's so sweet. I just love Patrick uh, Troughton so much. He's the best doctor. He's he the is best the best doctor. doctor. Uh, 
He's fucking brilliant. He's oh my god! Every it is story. a travesty how much of his stuff we talk. We talk about this every time, and it's always just like oh, it's just because the more of him I see, the worse it gets. Yeah, and you just know that there's less and less of it left because we've watched two fully animated serials now. Yeah. Ah. Uh. Well, they're releasing the Web of Fear one with the 3D. Yeah, and boy. The thing That's is, right, I don't care if it's kind of choppy. I'm really interested to see that whole episode and see how it works. Definitely. Because the, the scene that they showed, I don't think it's designed to show off the idea of having 3D animation. But when it's the Yetis coming down the tube tunnel towards them, that's going to work that's really gonna well. That's going to be so good. I think the Web of Fear is the only one I tried watching the recon for. Mm. And I just could not focus. I've but... seen the recon, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why recons aren't very mm. engaging for someone with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on and talk about companions? And wife, um, yes. And wife, yes. Let's take a little detour. Let's let's get on our tiny little spaceship. Yep. Uh, with the wires, and the wires will lift us away to Wife City. Oh, sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman. A woman. A woman? Hey. <laughs> um, Polly Wright is Wire says gay rights Yes, Polly Wright is a wife I love her I love her so She's much She's got big wife energy She does have big wife energy Like, I like her outfit at the beginning I think it's from Underwater Menace She's wearing like a dress made of shells And then she goes and changes out of it Into a very it's practical so outfit underneath her spacesuit She's wearing like a black elbow good. length t-shirt And black trousers And you're like, oh yeah Polly, you can wear practical stuff They let you wear practical <laughs> things sometimes um, And it's really good yeah. Um, I love her sunglasses as well. Yes. Her whole outfit, it's, it's very good. She's so pretty. She's got her eyeliner on. Her hair looks really nice. She's like the ultimate like 60s girl. And she's so mm. lovely. And she's so kind. And she really tries to hype the doctor up. <laughs> even if it yes. doesn't work. And oh. she's also got that bit where um, somebody does need medical help. And she's just... Do you not think that medicine is advanced since Lister taught you yes! in 1880? <laughs> so, so funny. Good. It's like because so they're good. like researching, they're trying to find the thing and the doctor, oh yeah, the doctor's like literally going all around the base, scraping people's trouser legs and taking their shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's wild. And he goes, I can't find anything. And Polly just goes, I was just wondering if there was anything Joseph Lister didn't know in 1888 that might possibly <laughs> help you now. It's so gently broached and it's so funny. <laughs> Oh, and he's it's like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's as maybe, Polly. I just... And she's really smart because she comes up with the idea to dissolve the Cybermen with acetone. She's been staring at her nails and she's thinking about it and she's like, hmm, that would probably work. And then she tests it because she's like, you know, she knows the scientific method. Yes. Which is brilliant. We just love her, is the yeah. thing. I'm trying to think of anything else to say about her. I think it's mostly been covered. Yeah, <laughs> like, the... it's odd because this story, it just whizzes by. There's not a lot of individual things people do. It's just a base under siege where they're, like, you know, preventing the base from being sieged. Like, obviously she makes the coffee, which is a bit like, come on now, guys. <laughs> um, However, just... as somebody who has only had one coffee today, and it's probably showing, it's a very important thing to do. I think it's intended to show her as a caretaker. The issue is that making the only female character go and make some coffee while everyone else is investigating the weird disease is like, come on guys. Um, you can do both. Get you a girl who can make coffee and solve problems. Yes. Like Polly. Yes. And we already talked about her telling Ben to fuck off with this slightly paternalistic bullshit. It's like, come on, I know you're trying to keep me safe, Ben, but come on, come on. I have to go. Now look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But right. you don't understand. Anyway, we're going to talk about Ben because he is linked to Polly as they are in love. Um... 
This is actually an era of Doctor Who where we had a lot of couple companions. Yeah, and it's very good. And also um, companions who couple up with the Doctor. <coughs> Jamie. <coughs> um, it's very sweet. Like, they're, not as, they're not as OTP as Barbarian, but they are very cute. Like, it's young love, you know. They're opposites mm. attract. They're from different sides of the world. And they never would have met without the TARDIS. And as it is, they muck along together very sweetly. And it's nice. Yeah, they have a really nice little dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can do the Ben and Polly and Ben segments here. I really like the Ben... As I've mentioned before, is like the working class hero. He comes in to help and he does his job without complaining about it. Um, mm. Like he does the work that's required of him and he works hard. Um, and he's very practical. Uh, except for saying things a man's work, which is silly of him, as we've established. Which is very silly. Um, I also very much like his scepticism of the Doctor and everything the Doctor does. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> um, speaking of Ben and Polly, I love the Duchess nickname. It's so cute. Just... Oh, he just he just calls her Duchess on reflex, and it's so good. It's really lovely. Duchess, I like them a lot. Duchess, Duchess, they bicker with love. At one point, when they're doing the science thing, he says, "Yes, Professor." <laughs> oh, I love them. They have a great dynamic. I yeah. It's just nice. Like yeah. there isn't as much companion rich stuff for them to do in this serial. They're sort of wandering around and stuff. But the science bit is so good. It's very endearing, and I like that it's the companions leading on that rather than the Doctor. Indeed. Like, the Doctor is doing stuff with the gravity. He's he's still stuck in the main bit of the moon base. Um, and they're off in the side room doing sciences. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Jamie while your mouth is full of pizza. No, no, no. <laughs> it can't be in the moon. That's on the sky. <laughs> so good i i just i just love my confused little scottish boy he's just baby i love that he uh he's very confused he bounces about and bonks his head yeah he's got is this is it just me or is his haircut slightly different like it's just rounder <laughs> i think it's just got more volume yeah it's very fun it's very um it's just very baby i can't say more he's just so sweet <laughs> he's a poor little meow meow who gets his head bonked <laughs> <laughs> second sight very dangerous <laughs> i love it suggesting holy water yes back home we used to treat witches with holy water it's like how many witches have you actually doused in holy water jamie like he could have t- he could have showed up in the fucking witch finders for all we know holy shit i wish that had happened imagine that would have been beautiful he's the lead oh. of, the, of the area and he turns up and he's like this reminds me of something but i'm not sure what <laughs> mm-hmm. You seem very familiar, Doctor. Uh, There's just something about you. And the you. Doctor's just there on the verge of tears, like, yeah, probably is. Yeah, I just have one of those faces. God. God, it's fine. <laughs> God, the reunion we need. We really do. Fraser Hines would be up for it. He really would. God, that would be, be just so fun. <sighs> Chris! Chris Chibnall, <laughs> as ever, we know you're fucking listening. We know you're listening. And then we have the Polly and Jamie duo. Um, ben and Jamie, we're saving for another <laughs> another segment. <laughs> um, but they're just they're Polly really cares for him as we've mentioned, like looking after him as a little brother. And then you've got something about uh, Chicks Dig Time Lords, which I'm intrigued by. Mm. Yeah. So the essay on this season from Chicks Dig Time Lords is about the nature of change in Doctor Ooh. Who, and how one of the themes of the season is um, getting used to the Doctor's change mm. into Troughton. And how that's not just blindly accepted and it gives the audience space to question and build their trust in him organically. Um, and then it's, that sort of leads on to questions about what makes the Doctor the Doctor and what makes a Cyberman a Cyberman and what makes a human a human. Ooh. And there's this beautiful little suggestion of um, that the, though the machines that are there tend to Jamie, um, much as the Cybermen's machines tend to their needs, what distinguishes Cybermen from human is that, that care, that mutual support and that affection that Polly 
chooses to give Jamie by staying there. That's so lovely. And providing that emotional support as well as just the necessary support. And I love it. I love it. That's so nice. Listen it. I read that and my heart just grew an extra size. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll come up in the EU a bit later, but I did procure the five companions and there is a lovely bit about Polly and kindness in there that made me really smile. So Good. Yeah. And then also I do like, I don't know if this happens in other serials. Obviously we've watched a lot of animated serials at this point, which might not include it, but sometimes the companions will just have a little quiet chat in the background, (laughs) um, which I really like. It makes sense. It gives it that sort of natural feel. Yeah. Like when um, Ben has just been taught to use the Gravitron and (laughs) Jamie goes over and is like looking at it. It's nice. Strong agree. On your knees, Doctor. If a bunch of guys were on the moon and all of them were homosocially involved, would that be fucked up or what? Like... I don't have an answer like, for you. Like, aim. These men are definitely go on, go fucking. On. These men are definitely fucking, right? They're all stuck on the I moon. I mean, they're stuck on the moon and it's 2070, so... Ju- it's polyamory. Hopefully. It's polyamory city on Fuck the moon. Fuck yeah. Give me those... Give me my moon-based polycule. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's fun. Also, um, Roger Benoit being French is like... It's queer-coded to be French in the 60s, I think. <laughs> is it... I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> it just makes me think about the Maltese Falcon. Um, I've been reading. Okay, that makes sense. I've been reading the French Confection, which is an Anthony Anthony Horowitz uh, Diamond Brothers mystery TV adaptation, made starring Dursley McClendon, oh. um, which I still need to get an illicit DVD of. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was reading that, and there's how many illicit DVDs do you own? Uh, not any illicit ones, actually. Um, just mostly listen. I used to have some illicit DVDs of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood seasons three and four, but then I got a uh, box set, so <laughs> I don't have those anymore. Fair. They were copied from me by a friend at, at secondary who had a lot of enterprises. Remember copying DVDs? Yeah, I mean, I technically know how to do it. Still, I just can't be asked. There's also less of a need to. Anyway, what else is gay? Uh, ben and Jamie. Other than pirates, ben, yeah. Ben and Jamie are incredibly gay. I feel like again, if we're gonna continue on this polyamory train there's very much polly and ben are dating yes and jamie and the doctor are dating and ben and jamie are also dating yes <laughs> it's a little train and when ben and jamie are out on dates polly and the doctor just sit around doing metamore game night yes oh my god oh man that'll be so fun so that that's the dynamic for this tardis era yeah they're just all dating they're just all dating and it's all very sweet and timely and lovely um ben and jamie mm. are slightly have a slight animosity but they also like they just stare at each other very intensely from time to time and you're like <laughs> oh yeah like it's a gay mm-hmm. commune on the moon <laughs> so they're just fitting in take me there yeah um and two and jamie actually aren't that gay in the serial because jamie and two doesn't have a lot of screen time together but the second jamie is both conscious and in the same room as the doctor he is clinging on he's like got both arms around the doctor's like upper arm and you're like ah yes that's the jamie mccrimmon i know the male wife of the century yeah not as clingy as it's going to become but it's getting there who's the i mean who's the first male doctor who companion that's not a male wife because i think there's a lot of male wives in this series ian's a male wife ian is a male wife ben's a male wife jamie's a male wife um can't wait to be a male wife harry sullivan probably not a male wife Mm, probably not no too Mm. too too much attempted big dick energy yeah yeah. Adric isn't a male Adric wife. Adric is not a male wife. Turlo is... Turlo is <laughs> the opposite of a male he's wife. A, he's a girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. That's Turlo. That's Mr. Turlo, my man. Oh my god. Um, 
All right, I guess that's all the gays. Um, it wasn't it wasn't heavy on the gay, but it just had a gay aura as an episode because of all the men in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the the only advantage of only having one woman. There's more opportunity for the homosexuality. Indeed. Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. Do you wanna do you wanna go to my underground tunnel beneath the moon base and see what I've been keeping behind the scenes? I would I would love to knock a hole like through an the awful... wall into the storage room full of behind the scenes information and then cover the hole with a big stack of flower bags. <laughs> hey, don't tell people where we record. Mm-mm. This is top secret. So this um the moon base first aired in February to March 1967. And before we jump into the actual behind the scenes, I want to tell you a little bit more about the Phantom Piper because I was captivated. Intriguing. Just absolutely besotted with this idea of Jamie being taken by the Phantom Piper. So I did a little bit of Googling and the first thing I found is that there is a folk band called the Phantom Piper. Excellent. Um, I haven't listened to their stuff yet, but it sounds like they like both pipes and f- fire so they seem cool there was a 1957 bbc show called pots and the phantom piper which is now thought to be lost yep starring humphrey Lestock as ex-flight lieutenant mm-hmm. peter pot <laughs> yep i can't find anything about it other than the cast based nothing at all based on the cast i'm going to assume that it is a world war one or two adventure story yeah but who is the phantom piper Oh, the episode titles. We've got the episode titles. Okay, okay, hit me. Uh, the Stranger in the Dungeon, mm-hmm. uh, Pot Sets a Trap, okay. The Secret Agent, okay. Under Suspicion, and The Secret Formula. Okay, this does sound like like a war show. Yeah, and you know, the Phantom Pipe is associated with war, I guess. He also wrote an episode of a show called No Hiding Place called Victim of the Dark, which hmm. appears to be a crime drama. Hmm. Interesting. So that's literally all we can find about that on the internet. Yeah. Oh, it was a No Hiding Place was a sequel to the series Murder Bag. <laughs> the fuck Murder Bag. Oh my god, there's a lot of information about this actually. I love this. Um, Shall we move on before we end up going down the rabbit hole? Uh, I'm going to end up taking myself down the rabbit hole eventually, but yes, that sounds good. <laughs> um, there's also, I did check to see that you haven't included this in Extended Universe, but a 2017-18 comic in the Doctor Who magazine called The Phantom Piper, which starred the 12th Doctor Bill and Alan Turing on the moon, of course, with the Phantom Piper, who was actually somebody from the Dream Sphere, and it gets very confusing. Yeah, I did read about this. Um, I tried to so follow it, but I did not have there's the a, it's, it's a series of comics... Um, which is about 12 and Bill in between the pilot and the episodes after the pilot. Um, so <laughs> the 12th Doctor and Bill are trying to find this code and they don't quite know what it is and they realise that it has something to do with this clone of Alan Turing who's living in another planet and they go to the other planet but he's not there. He's moved to the moon. <laughs> because of course he fucking has. Yeah. And then they translate the code and the code made the Piper manifest. Uh, and then Chioko is someone I've come across before when researching stuff, who is part TARDIS, which is a moment realised in the Doctor Who magazines. Also reminds me of an eighth Doctor companion called Compassion, uh, who turns into a TARDIS in one of the books and it's massively fucked up. That's wild. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. Yeah. So that's what that is. I then tried to see if there was actually like a myth or legend about a Phantom Piper. 
Um, and apparently, back in 1856, on a cold October day, which is post Jamie's time, but I like the story, so I'm sharing it. On a cold October day, a small vessel left the port of Goderich, carrying a family from the Isle of Skye, Scotland. It became lost in a swarm- storm as it neared Kincardine, um, and aboard the boat, Donald Sinclair, fearing for his family, fetched his pipes and began playing a lament. The sound carried across to land where another piper heard and played another lament in return. The captain of the boat, hearing the drone of the pipes, headed for shore where the vessel arrived safely. And to this day, the band plays on the cliff with one player designated the Phantom Piper standing atop the lighthouse playing the pipes every night apart from Saturdays across the summer. Ah. Which is really sweet. I like it. I think I've heard that story before. I don't know where though. Yeah, very possibly. Um, there's also the ghost of a piper under Edinburgh Castle, and probably is. quite a lot more mm-hmm. under Scotland, but none that act like a sort of Grim Reaper episode. And this is a note that I didn't write. The Phantom Piper, edit my notes. Yep. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I've also just discovered there is uh, an episode of the show Supercar, which is a Jerry Anderson uh, Super Marionation show called The Phantom Piper. Okay. Mike and Dr. Beaker respond to a call from Scotland Yard to investigate the Phantom Piper of Eva Lachane, a ghost-like figure that prowls the battlements of a medieval castle playing the bagpipes. And I won't lie, I don't think I've seen this, but it's also possible that this is where I've heard of the Phantom Piper. (laughs) That could well be Um, it. But yeah, so episode... I'm going to look up specifically which episode of the Magnus Archives it was. But there is an episode of the Magnus Archives about the Phantom Piper. Um, And... Listening to it made me feel insane because um, I'll explain it to you when I get it up. Um, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Hang on, let me scroll down. It's very near the beginning, which is part of why it really lost me. Oh yeah, episode seven, The Piper. Um, Summary, statement of Staff Sergeant Clarence Berry regarding his time serving with Wilfred Owen in the Great War. You know. Okay. Shall we start? Well, that's very you. That's basically somebody thought, oh, what does Rosie like? Yeah, but here's the thing, right? So (laughs) it's taking the real life historical figure of Wilfred Owen and saying he got possessed by an ancient spirit of war. (laughs) Is Johnny okay? I mean, you're the one who vaguely knows him, right? (laughs) Oh, we've got mutual friends. Mm. And in most of the stories I have about him, no, no, he is not. I mean, if you ever meet him, can you please ask him why he decided to do this to Wilfred Owen? <laughs> Next time I happen to be in the same room as Johnny fucking Sims, I'll say, hi, I've never encountered any of your media in the wild, but what the fuck did you do to Wilfred? <laughs> if you're like, one of my friends is very into Magnus Archives, and he goes, oh no. I go, <laughs> and all they want to know is, how did Wilfred Owen hurt you? <laughs> Um, Were you possessed by Wilfred they Owen? They sort of it. He sort of implied um, that part of the reason Wilfred Owen had post-traumatic stress disorder, which he did in real life, is because he met oh boy, the yeah, absolutely. Piper. No, it was because he was in the war. Yeah, Johnny, he was in the war. Yeah, here we go. Um, so Wilfred says Sorry, he, he met Johnny the Sims. War, if you're listening to our show, he, I'm it, talking to you hypothetically. Here's a quote. He told me it had three faces: one to play its pipes of scrimshawed bone, one to scream its dying battle cry, and one that would not open its mouth. For when it did, blood and sodden soil flowed out like a waterfall. Those arms that did not play the pipes were gripping blades and guns and spears, while others raised their hands in futile supplication of mercy, and one in a crisp salute. It wore a tattered coat of wool, olive green, where it was not stained black, and beneath nothing could be seen but a body beaten, slashed, and shot, and until nothing 
nothing remained but the wounds themselves. I had heard quite enough by this point and said so to Wilfred, but if he heard me, he gave me no indication of it. He told me that the war, the piper, had come to claim him and he had begged to remain. Oh my god. <laughs> That's actually beautiful writing yeah no it's that's, you, that's some good shit. very good at writing it's just that why did he do this and then he mentions that he gets sent to craig lockhart <laughs> it's like yes he did go to craig lockhart um but yes uh and then they talk about the pied piper of hamelin for a bit mm-hmm. as like a similar thing oh interesting that's a cool premise i like that a lot yeah and then there's the bit where he may or may not have been possessed by the spirit of war um and then it's the end of the statement and you're like great <laughs> great Anyway, so I need to listen to the Magnus Archives. You fucking do, Abe. It's very good. Everything about it seems like it's a hundred percent my shit. And yeah, I'm listening to Taz Balance again. But so. yeah, it is a good episode. It just also as a as an enthusiast of Wilfred Owen's life, um, I do find it a little bit insensitive. <laughs> just a little bit insensitive. I'm looking at the pictures of the characters of Supercar, and I feel insane looking at them. Please drop them. In the chat, please share them in the I chat. Will. I'm a please partic- share these pictures in the chat. <laughs> that's our new. That's our new theme tune. Um, I'm particularly fond, by which I mean horrified, by uh, Mitch the monkey. <laughs> yeah, you're right there. You're right there, Aim. No, I'm dead. Oh dear, that's not good. Oh boy, it's okay. I'm I'm a ghost now. Oh, I can keep podcasting. You are the Phantom Piper. Form. It's I am been the you Piper. all along. Oh my god, we solved the mystery. <laughs> we connected the dots. I'm the Phantom Piper. Yes. Oh my god. I need god. to learn the bagpipes now. Everyone around me is gonna love me for that. <laughs> um, I hate all of them. I think the one I hate most is Doctor Horatio Beaker. Yeah, but the guest cast is also bad. <laughs> I believe you. Mm. Shall we get back to our behind the scenes before we end up? Even further yeah, away. Yeah, before we get possessed by the spirit of the dolls from Supercar. Um. <laughs> Which is a possibility on this show. Anything could happen. Let's go to a much more normal conversation. In an early edit of the script, the Cybermen had names yes. as they had on the 10th planet. Oh my god. Please tweet us with your favourite Cyberman names. Mine is Steve. That'll be very good. What's your favourite Cyberman name? Um, Cyber Steve. Cyber Steve. <laughs> yeah. You put Cyber me on the Steve spot. What was I supposed to say? I'd also suggested Steve. I know, that's my point. <laughs> um, oops, sorry for knocking stuff about. Um, I, I just love that concept of naming them. Mm. Um, yeah. Another of the unnamed scientists in the background is played by Victor Pemberton, who later served as script editor for The Evil of the Daleks and to the Ice Warriors though only receiving credit on Team of the Cybermen. Mm. He also wrote television story Fury from yes. the Deep and the audio, st- <laughs> the audio story Doctor Who and the P- Pescatons, I guess. Yeah, Pescatons. This makes Pem- yeah, thank you. This makes Pemberton one of the five people to have written for and acted in Doctor Who, the others being Derek Sherwin, Glyn Jones, Mark Gatiss and Toby Whithouse. However, Pemberton is the only one to have acted in a Doctor Who story before writing one. Mm. And you told me the other day that he was also a consultant on Fraggle Rock, and I can but dream of that career yeah. trajectory. Yeah, he seems like he lived he lived a good and gay life, and I approve. That's all we can we can aim to do. Um, yep. So, in terms of other extras, John Levine, Yay! later to play the more prominent role of Benton, appears as a Cybermen extra in the third and fourth episodes, and uh, Tired. Yeah, because he was meant to come yeah, back just as a random unit extra, and then they liked him so much. That and they then just he just stayed. 
which I'm glad. I like Benton. Yeah, Benton's great. Um, according to Annika Wills, during his initial exploration of the control room set, Patrick Troughton was almost crushed when the dra- graviton prop fell from its ricking and landed only inches away from him. Ow! Troughton has said that Morris Barry used this as an excuse to get the whole set moved around so he could get better camera angles. <laughs> which I it love. It's an incredible set, isn't it? It's like beautiful the way that it is constructed I, I really like it it's interesting as well but yeah so that's that's what i've got for behind yeah. the scenes i have a little bit more because i went and dug up my photos of my mom's book doctor who cyberman um, amazing and it has it's by david banks who plays the cyber leader in a various uh things um and i might save a little bit of it for critique but i just wanted to mention that i had that um kit peddler who wrote this uh also wrote 10th Planet, and then later Tomb of the Cybermen. He was the scientific advisor of the show, and he went on to run the show Doomwatch, which I do want to watch at some point, oh, nice. but some of, most of the episodes are missing, I think. It's like a science fact show about the dangers of evil rats or something. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds absolutely buck wild. But yeah, so... Um... When it, he he was uh, the person who came up with the idea for the story of the War Machines, and his quote about it is, um, at the time I was obsessed as a scientist by the difference in similarities between the human brain and advanced computing machines, and I was thinking that although I could easily imagine a logical machine reasoning to itself and manipulating events outside it, by no stretch of the imagination could I visualise a machine producing a poem by Dylan Thomas. Um, hmm. So he sort of had he sort of understood that AI would eventually exist, but um, he didn't think that it was necessarily a good thing. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, and uh, there's also a quote: "Early in the 20th century, the American journalist Lincoln Steffens visited post-revolutionary Russia and came back to report: I have seen the future, and it works. Kit Pedler and sci-fi writers like him were more likely to declare: I have seen the future, and it doesn't work." <laughs> uh, it was interesting. I like that. And then there's some talking about like Luddites and stuff from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. What stuff from the Bible out of um, curiosity? Uh, hang on. The power of likenesses is touched on in the book of Ezekiel. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is condemned by the prophet for consulting the teraphim, mysterious speaking heads used by sorcerers for oracular purposes. During the 7th century BC, they were banned by the prophets as graven images. Some were real heads which had been mummified. Interestingly, the Cybermen of the 10th planet have some of the appearance of mummies. The fascination and horror of the prescribed still retains its power. Hmm. Uh... Interesting. They talk about androids, and then there's some insane concept art for Cyberman stuff that is so cool. It's so cool. Go on, paint me a word picture. Okay, so this is part of the stuff I'm going to talk more about in the Expanded Universe, but there is like a a double-page spread. Now imagine Deep Space Nine, right? I'm always imagining Deep Space Nine. It's like a H.R. Geiger painting. And then imagine that the middle spike bit is taller and there's a big um, many-eyed creature growing out of it with tentacles and like a slightly humanoid head with a large see-through skull with a brain in it. Okay. Um, And that's the Cyberhive. I kind of like that. Kind of dig that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, okay, here is the theoretical timeline of these cybermen <laughs> um which is from the proliferation page a guide to the known evolution and activity of cybermen within the galaxy so we go from mondas to the first divergence which is where mondas journeys to the edge of space one faction leaps to planet 14 and becomes the cybermen that were involved in the invasion uh, which would explain how they know who the doctor is in the moon base because they have already done the invasion <laughs> 
Okay, that makes that makes sense. From that, they do the second divergence, where early cyber nomads leave Sol to explore the galaxy, um, and the other half go to the Wheel in Space. After the Wheel in Space, which is set in potentially 2028 AD, although I think it's later than that, um, after the Wheel in Space, they go to the Moon Base to try and destroy Earth, which is the plan that the Cybermen have. I don't know if that was emphasized enough in the summer. Um, they're trying to destroy okay. it to prevent it from being competition, right, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then after this, they abandon the solar system, colonize Telos, and then there's Tomb of the Cybermen after that. Cool, that makes sense. Yeah. I think. I'm trying to follow around, like... With my brain. Yeah, this is the uh, first nexus still of Cyberman activity. There's a big dotted line that just says time travel. (laughs) (laughs) That's the show. That's it. That's just the entire show. Yeah. Um, I guess this is a good time to move on to uh, critique so I can get back to this later. Probably, (laughs) yeah. Yes. We'd all go, except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute. I'm not going to miss all No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation? Liz. This time, I think he's right. The rotoscoping animation, as you have mentioned, it's very good. Is really good. It gives it a lot more. It makes it a lot more watchable. I think is how I'd put it. Yeah, I don't even know. It's it's certainly more engaging. Like I think it's always watchable because mm. it's Doctor Who. You know, we love Doctor Who, but yeah, it is harder to kind in of in terms of ease of watchability as yes. well. Yes, I think it helps that they had two episodes to base it off of. Definitely. So everybody had more movement to mm. refer back to the space jump sound effect when they're jumping around in space yes <laughs> yes it's good i just want to bounce about on the moon like a little moon baby going boinks 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 yeah honestly i don't have a lot to criticize about the serial i just think it's a solid base under siege story um as we've said the pace is very good um the fact that the cybermen have just kind of been hiding in a cupboard is very funny <laughs> like it's <laughs> It very, very, really is stupid of the people on the base not to have noticed that there was a big hole in the wall of the cupboard. I imagine it's the sort of thing where, again, one of them will have just thought, oh, somebody else will have noticed that and walked on. <laughs> this is above my pay grade. Goodbye. Yep. Oh, uh, I'm not building services. It doesn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. As we said, the visual design, um, I love the design of the moon base. It's one big set, um, which I guess yes. was the same price as building smaller sets and they were like hey let's do a big one and i really love it and i wish that it was still around to walk around in oh god imagine doing doctor who experience with that oh my god oh my god maybe there you go time fracture will do it the fact that the moon base stuff know about the Cybermen and dismiss them as an ancient threat kind of linked to the timeline stuff we've been talking about but like i love that these like the doctor and ben and polly have encountered the Cybermen like within their internal timeline about what like three or four months ago and everyone's mm. like, everyone knows they're worse, I've met, but they're all dead. They've been dead for hundreds of years. <laughs> oh. Yep. Good stuff. Ooh, I have got the 60s Who being very good at horror setups, especially like in the first episode, the framing of the shots. Mm. It's good shit. It knows what it's doing and it knows what it's playing with. Indeed. It's all very, like, fun, I guess. Definitely. The history. Sorry. <laughs> I've just found um, a listing for Pots and the Phantom Piper in the radio times and when i clicked on the link i love that you were still looking for when it when i clicked on the link to find it um the bbc said warning this may contain material which is now considered offensive and i'm like oh god what has Give radio times me. done now there's literally nothing in the <laughs> listing like it doesn't even explain what's going on in it um it's just got some of the actors as the names and the names of the characters but you know it's got humphrey Lestock in it <laughs> wild okay that's I must know what it was about. I must see the script. Yeah. And then after that, uh, it was Today's Sport. And then um, at 
7.30, it was Dixon of Dot Green. <laughs> Imagine being alive at that time when you didn't have any other channels to watch mm. and this was what you had. This was it. One of the guys in this episode of Dixon of Dot Green was in Blake 7. <laughs> Again, I think you can feel the look. <laughs> anyway. Shall we, shall, shall we do a universe i think i just wanted to Let's... i just wanted to back you up on the horror setups thing i think that they take a lot of visual reference from b movies and other horror movies that have were already Definitely. around wait as in the b suspense. movie from 2012 or whenever 2006 it came out? and Is no that's... because i would kill myself if <laughs> did the B movie. i had to try and watch it with some year fours a couple of weeks ago and it was the worst oh experience God. of my life i hated it that's a lie um, i've had I... worse film experiences it was the worst one i've had with children there somebody who i used to sit next to in one of my old jobs her and her boyfriend watched, they got very high, watched the B movie on New Year's Eve and then decided they didn't understand it. So watched it again with commentary. Oh my God. And I just respect them so much. I can't imagine doing that. I really cannot. No, me neither. But I'm so glad that they did. Yeah. I'm glad someone's watched the commentary on B movie. I can't imagine that's a frequently clicked track. I mean, I tried to watch the commentary on the Cats 2019 DVD. You said, yeah. And the, it's bad. It's yeah. a bad time. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. The Doctor Who Cybermen book, I'm coming I'm looping back. It's like it's it's both non-fiction and fiction in that there's the non-fiction elements where David Banks is talking about, you know, Kit Putler's literary literary influences and like the way that they designed the Cyberman and the way they acted and wrote the serials. And then there's also an in-universe, in-character archive section of someone called Hegelia, like Wow. Recording the history of the Cybermen. She's very horny for okay, the Cybermen. Okay, this I love. This I'm She's for. very, very horny for the Cybermen. And she later appears in a Virgin New Adventures novel called Killing Ground, uh, where she and okay. another archivist uh, time traveled back to study the aftermath of the Cybermen's occupation of a planet called Agora, which is where um, Six's erstwhile companion Grant Markham is from. He's in two books, so don't worry that okay. you don't know who that is. Nice. Um, but she, I figured but she altered the was... coordinates so they arrived during the last year of the occupation. Her fascination with the Cybermen so consumed her that she wanted to undergo cyber conversion to completely understand them. They refused, so she used Overseer Madrox to run the cyber conversion equipment to achieve her goal. After the process was finished, she killed Madrox. Wild. What the fuck? Wild, wild, wild. What the fuck? Yeah, her stuff in the book is like a star map of where Mondas used to be and like these beautiful like annotations these beautiful um set drawings of like tomb of the cybermen and like the the description of the scene where it's like Cleeg and professor parry stand by the doors to the entrance chamber of the cyber tombs on the far left stands the main control panel and to its right is the archway leading to the weapons testing area on the far right is the open hatch leading to the tombs deep below in the foreground can be seen part of a circular table embossed with four cyber head emblems around the table not visible here are a set of a number of a set a number of stools the function of this feature is unknown this viewpoint is one achieved from near the further archway leading to the revitalization chamber and then there's like a pictorial history of the cyber race where it's all these like comic panels. It's like the coolest wow. looking reference book. It's so fun. It's got all this concept this art. This sounds amazing. It's got photos. It's got, oh, it's so good. Most of the pictures I took of it were from our tomb that when we were researching Tomb of the Simon episode. So I don't have much stuff from this episode, mm. but it's very good. It's all very well the cyber amazing. leader going on about how much better off we are since being cybernized, how we're immune to disease, age, and emotional traumas. But it's put a lot of us small businesses right up the creek. <laughs> okay that's actually brilliant yeah, it's just a little uh a little comic strip i like it that's so good 
Ugh, I love being a Doctor Who fan sometimes. So... I just love how big it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cute. There's, there's a couple of those comic strips in it. I took photos of all of them, but I'm going to leave some of them for future. Oh, there's a picture of it. Sylvester McCoy wearing a Cyberman head in it. Cute. And then there is the Doctor Who magazine I found that was inside it. <laughs> inside the book. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. And then there's uh, a, a letter in it called The Kinky 60s. <laughs> um... Do I want to know what's inside it? Not really, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they're talking about the prison in space which is the women in prison serial they didn't make um and then there's <laughs> a poster kind of, of five and the black guardian love it yes. love that love that energy um, so going back to the eu that's related specifically to this story i have been attempting to read a past doctor adventures novel called the roundheads by mark gatiss and it is good it's a pure historical set in the english civil war or like you know the interregnum um two and jamie and ben and polly get split up two and jamie get accused of treason and locked in the tower of london classic doctor who ben and polly ben Ben gets press ganged into going on a boat to Amsterdam and Polly accidentally ends up in a plot to rescue the king. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, Two and Jamie are wandering around and Jamie admits to not knowing very much about this time period because he's from Scotland from 100 years in the future and he didn't learn about it. So the doctor goes back to the TARDIS to try and find the library, gets lost, eventually finds the library, can't find the book he's looking for, so the TARDIS throws a copy of the boy's own book of the English Civil War at him for Jamie to look at. Beautiful. It's full of lovely pictures and there's not too many words. It's very fun. It's very fun. I need to read some more of it. I've just got sidetracked by like packing my house and also reading the face of the enemy finally, <laughs> which is also very good. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I procured a copy of The Five Companions, which is a Big Finish subscriber exclusive audio from 2011, which is a side story to The Five Doctors. And I bought it for <coughs> an amount of money on eBay. Um, ah, great. It was That's my worth, favorite amount It was of money. worth every penny of my <coughs> amount of money. Um, it is, it is, um, Polly, Sarah Kingdom, uh, Nissa, Stephen, and Ian, all stuck in, like, a side, I love in a them. side area of the death zone on Gallifrey, right? Like, this accidental side bit. There's dinosaurs there, and also, um, Daleks <laughs> and Sontarans. Um, and Polly specifically is absolutely fucking fantastic in it. She's so good. And Echo Wills is just, like amazing as this like slightly older version where she and the doctor have this heart to heart where she says you know i wasn't very i wasn't terribly brave or useful and five's like do you really think that (laughs) and he's like talking about how polly was this wonderful moral compass and you know brave when she needed to be and really kind and lovely and you're like yeah that's exactly Mm. what polly is and then she uh fucking kills a sontarian a sontarian with her stiletto heel that she's wearing um because she's complaining about her shoes the whole serial because she got abducted while she was shopping. <laughs> so she Amazing. gets out the slow heel and oh whacks it into the probing That's... vent at the back of the Sontaran's neck. <laughs> okay, that I it's love. It's very good. It sounds incredible. I'm so glad you got your hands on yes. it. Yes, also I got into the niche pairing of Polly slash Sarah Kingdom because they were just, you know, girls together ian and stephen are lovely it was so nice when stephen and sarah kingdom reunited it was just amazing oh and like you know five promises he's gonna visit them and they're all like yeah he's not gonna get around to it is he it's really sad and it's like no he will never see him again it's like barbara would really love to see you again doctor like oh my god (gasps) oh it's fine it's a very good audio Um, i'll probably talk more about the other parts of it in other episodes but i just want to mention that it whips and it's good and also um the doctor asks polly if she sees much of ben these days and she says actually i get to see all of him every day wow um and she talks about uh you you should have seen my parents faces when i brought him home you didn't think we'd last did you doctor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is good because it contradicts the dumb expanded universe thing that they don't stay together for i don't know class reasons like they love each other they've had a lot of deal they've dealt with a lot you know 
They've gone to space together. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Short trip wise, we have a story from Tales of Terror, which is a more recent anthology of like horror themed Doctor Who short stories. Um, nice. This is a story called Something at the Door, and it is set entirely in the TARDIS, which is always fun. The do- um, Ben, Polly, and Jamie are exploring the TARDIS uh, kind of willy nilly, and they find the secondary control room. <laughs> Nice. I also Love find it. a Ouija board. Um, yes, and ben, I'm, in, ben and, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Ben and Jamie are both scared of using the Ouija board for different reasons, because obviously Jamie actually believes in a lot of supernatural stuff, because why wouldn't he? Um, and Ben is <laughs> like, oh, well, it's silly. I'm not scared at all. It's fine. <laughs> and Polly peer pressures them into doing it, um, classically. Beautiful. Uh, so they do the Ouija board, and there's this thing that says, we will devour you, and they all, like, shriek, and it starts attacking them and, like, floating through the air, and they're all like, what the fuck? Ben hits it with a stick, and it splits in half, and the doctor tells them off, you know, pretty viciously. And they think it's all over and done with, but then a few days later, like, Jamie is acting really strangely and starts, like, trying to fly the TARDIS into the fucking sun or whatever. Um, so the doctor comes out with this big leather-bound book and starts chanting at him, and the, uh, Jamie leans back and vomits a cloud of alien bees um which fly out of the TARDIS and into the time vortex it turns out that uh the doctor was not actually reading any particular spell he was just reading an ancient high gallifrey cookbook in the hopes that it sounded official enough to do an exorcism holy shit okay that i love and then the doctor proposes that he finds another recipe to make them all breakfast that's actually yeah. it's a very fun story it's not too long it was really nice i recommend it um short and sweet very nice and i i do just really enjoy the ben polly jamie dynamic i think it's really fun yes i wish we had more of it yes. as i said already this episode right shall we jump onto our rankings then um my ex of the week is gonna have to be um convoluted plot mover of the week with jamie bonking his yes head. oh man it's so much fun um Mine would have to be <sighs> dodgy science practices of the week for not wearing a ventilator while mixing all those solvents together. <laughs> of course. Um, well, safety first, kids. Da, 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 What's that? What's that? Da, 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 da. No, it's aim. Can you hear that? I've, I've no idea. No, I can't da, hear anything. What's going on. Da, 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 da. Oh, oh my god, what is. <laughs> oh no, we're being haunted by the ghost of. <laughs> So not even close to Blake Seven, but Andre Moran, who plays Renoir, was in the 1987 A Little Princess serial as the French tutor, which is the best Little Princess adaptation, except no substitutes. So the actual Six Degrees of Blake Seven, I probably could have found a closer one, but at this point I was desperate. Um, Dave Sydenham, who did the lighting on this this serial. Oh my... Uh, worked on the unpleasantness at the Bologna Club, which stars Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter Whimsy, um, who was in Murder Must <laughs> Advertise with Paul Darrow, who played Kurt Ivon in Blake Seven. So I I really enjoy these um, Six Degrees of Blake Seven from the sixties because they get wild. Yeah, it gets it gets harder, and a lot of the people like I found out one of the actors only died like this year, and I was like, oh wow, you know, oh. connections. I do really need to watch this version of Murder Must Advertise though, because Murder Must Advertise the book is fucking wild, and I love it. It has Lord Peter Whimsy. I don't. I know you don't know anything about Lord Peter Whimsy, but this one is Lord Peter Whimsy goes undercover as his own cousin as as an ad, as an advertising like um clerk, and it's so good. He invents an advertising campaign that takes Britain by storm while he is also solving a crime. <laughs> I never needed anything more. It's very good. Anyway, out of five. Do I'd probably probably give it um 
I think I'm going to rank it lower than you will. I'm going to give it a 3.5 Phantom Pipers out of 5. That's fair. I think I'd probably give it a... Three point five cups of infected coffee okay. out of five. I do really, really like it, but I also think that it it has limitations to what the story can do. But I yeah. think that for a base under siege story, it is essentially the ultimate. Oh, it's a very. It's essentially good one. the ultimate base under siege story. Um, like I still, Definitely I'm sure Fury from the Deep technically counts as based on the Siege, but it doesn't feel like one because it's all very, you know, there's different locations and stuff. Whereas in this, it's very much yeah, it's, it's, 50 square meters. It doesn't have the claustrophobia, claustrophobia that is part of based on the Siege. Yeah, but it is very, very good. So uh, I will look up yeah. the... Where do we put it in our van- ranking? Oh, God. I'd probably put it... I would put it... Okay, my mouse is hovering. I don't know if i put it above or below... Arc of Infinity. Oh, I was quite a few below. Where were you there. at? I was around Modern and Dead. See, I was there, but then I thought about whether I. Th- it's difficult to say because well, I didn't like it more than I liked Marinus or Rescue. But I think, mm-hmm. like, besides I think Rescue, I think that it's a very perfect example of the form that it's going for. Yeah, that's true. I'd happily put it between Trak and Marinus. Yes, yeah, between Trak and Marinus. Because those two have been together since day one. <laughs> and now they're and finally we apart. To... We've separated them. <laughs> it was the goal of this goal podcast all along. Exactly. I will look up the Mighty 200. I think this one... I have a feeling this one's fairly low, but I'm not sure exactly where. I'd probably put it around 38. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say 138, just for, the, just for the hell of it. 112. So 112. Oh. Yeah. No, people don't really like this one. I think because people view it as part of like a, a plague of based on the siege stories, which is fair enough, but we haven't encountered a lot of those yet. That feels more like yeah. a third. It is directly below the seeds well. of death and above frontier in space. Okay. There's Those's some choices. weird choices in this series, in this list. We have to acknowledge that at this point. Like Yeah. Like the war games is at twenty nine, you know? Okay, the war games is fucking good. Fucking amazing. Exactly. Exactly. And the fucking Remembrance of the Daleks is only 14 because it has such recency bias with with the new show. (laughs) Anyway. um, Anyway. That's it for today. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes, where I am unable to view any of your ratings or reviews because I don't have iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PolaritiPod or on Tumblr at PolaritiPod.tumblr.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dot Sayers, uh, D-O-T-S-A-Y-E-R-S, and AIM is at AIM Tells Stories. That's A-M-A-Y-M. And you can join us next time on the podcast. We'll be joined by a very special guest for The Two Doctors. Ooh.